Chronic hepatitis C virus infection is common, and many people remain undiagnosed. There are no organized HCV screening programs for the general population in Canada, but should there be? Who should be screened for hepatitis C virus? I'm Dr. Diane Kelsall, Interim Editor-in-Chief for the CMAJ, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Roland Grad, a practicing family physician and associate professor in the Faculty of Medicine at McGill University. Dr. Grad is also a member of the Canadian Task Force on Preventive Health Care. Dr. Grad and the Task Force reviewed the latest evidence in the literature and published a guideline in the CMAJ on screening for hepatitis C virus infection. Dr. Grad is joining us today from Montreal to explain the recommendations of the task force. Hello, Roland. Hi, Diana. Thanks for having me. You know, when I was in medical school, um, there was no such thing as hepatitis C, so I'm really showing my age here. It was uh, There was this mysterious non-A, non-B hepatitis. Obviously, later on, we discovered that at least one of those was hepatitis C virus. Can you tell us a little bit about how common is this virus um, in Canadian adults? So the prevalence of hepatitis C in Canada is estimated to be about 6 to 7 per 1,000 Canadians. And these prevalence estimates are somewhat uncertain as they're based on small studies. Um, but from the best information we have um, in adults 18 and up, uh, we're looking at roughly 6 to 7 per 1,000 persons who would be chronically infected with hepatitis C. Now, is there a group that has a higher prevalence among that? Um, is it pretty even between sort of 18, you know, in the adult group, or is there a particular, is there a particular group that at this point would have a somewhat higher prevalence? Yeah, and that's a good question. It turns out there are, um, you know, segments of the population that have a higher prevalence of the virus. And um, if you listen to American television, you'll see the commercials talking to you about baby boomers, um, which they define in the United States as 1945 to 1965, uh, people born in that in that range um, in the U.S. have an estimated prevalence of roughly three per hundred. Whereas in Canada, the information that we currently have um, suggests that it would be roughly 8 per thousand or 0.8% in the baby boomer population. Um, you know, obviously people who were exposed in Canada to blood or blood products before 1992 when there was no screening for hep C, this is the time when you and I went to medical school, um, you know, they were at higher risk for catching the virus. Uh, people with high risk sexual behaviors, and, of course, uh, intravenous drug abuse is still a major um, risk factor for being exposed to hepatitis C in Canada. Now, why is it important that we identify this the people at higher risk? Well, the importance, you know, is related to the complications. Long-term, um, people with chronic infection are at risk for developing cirrhosis of the liver, which can decompensate, of course, and uh, land you in hospital or, or even kill you. Um, hepatocellular carcinoma is um, another issue that uh, can develop in people who are chronically infected. But one of the things that I learned about um, was the natural history of infection, which is interesting because you know, when you look at you know the studies that we have, what happens to people long-term who are chronically infected with hepatitis C? And it turns out that it takes a long time if ever, for people to develop these complications. So best as we can tell, after 20 years, 
something like 16% of people will have cirrhosis of the liver. That's one six percent. So just, you know, the vast majority will not after 20 years of infection. After 30 years, the data is still slim, but um, it turns out that the majority of people will still not have, will not have cirrhosis after 30 years of chronic infection. So it takes a very long time to go from infection to complicated liver disease like cirrhosis. And um, we think that not everyone will actually get to that point of, of being sick from, from chronic hepatitis C infection. Now, the landscape in terms of treatment has changed quite a bit. I mean, obviously, when it when we first knew that, that there was such a thing called hepatitis C, there was nothing. Obviously, things have changed. Can you tell us a little bit what changed in the area of treatment? Sure. I mean, I think uh, that was one of the issues that led the task force to actually think about putting out a guideline for uh, family physicians and nurses working in primary health care. Um, you know, the issue has been the development of the direct-acting antivirals. These are oral medications which are better tolerated given for shorter durations of time and produce higher rates of a sustained virological response, which means that the, the virus becomes undetectable in your blood. And so because of the development of these more effective orally administered treatments, um, you know, it becomes more important to test uh, patients in your practice who would meet the so-called higher risk criteria. And and so it really was the development of these new medications that, that, that sort of changed the landscape for chronic hepatitis C. In the past, we used to use um, interferon and, and ribavirin. And in my practice, I had one fellow who braved it out. But as uh, most uh, listeners will know, the, these treatments with interferon Required, um, they were they required injections. They were associated with a lot of flu-like symptoms, and they had to be given out over, I think, roughly a year's time. So it was difficult to get people to go through that kind of treatment. So with the availability of treatment, you know, more palatable treatment options, this was part of the impetus, as you, you you've alluded to, as to why the task force wanted to go ahead um, and and develop this guideline. Were there any other factors that uh, went into the decision to do this? I would say the lack of guidance, you know, there are no national guidelines around screening for hepatitis C in Canada. And I would say it's a good thing, you know, that we started this process. It was in 2014 when we actually began to think about doing this work. And, um, you know, now when I talk to my friends uh, about chronic hepatitis C, they all say, oh, you mean that thing that we're seeing on the television? Because, you know, many Canadians watch American TV. And, and I'm glad that, you know, that we did this work because uh, now Canadians won't have to get their information from American television. The joys of direct-to-consumer advertising, right? <laughs> I always knew when a new ad came because, uh, you know, a couple of days later, my practice was full of people asking about a particular treatment. There were a lot of or different organizations that the task force pulled together to, to, to do this particular guideline. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, who was involved and, and what they did? Sure. Our work is based on systematic reviews of the literature. These are very, uh, you know, time-consuming and rigorous um, types of studies that that follow a protocol. And um, we engaged the Canadian Agency for Drugs, Technology, and Health, or CATA, to um, do a systematic review on screening. And then subsequently, because we found no studies on screening for chronic hepatitis C, we um, asked um, the um, 
scientists at the Public Health Agency of Canada to look for what we call indirect evidence on treatment. And we call this treatment evidence indirect because, you know, the treatment studies that we were able to find were not based on samples taken from the general population. They were based on um, people who were feeling sick or who had abnormal liver tests. In other words, they were not screened populations that ended up being treated. So our ability to extrapolate from these treatment studies is is very limited, and that's why we call that indirect evidence. So the Public Health Agency of Canada did a treatment review to compare the effects of the direct-acting antivirals um, with pegylated interferon and ribavirin, which is the old, the old standard. This guideline um, is about screening specifically, and the task force has come up with essentially one recommendation. Um, can you tell us what the task force is recommending that physicians and primary care nurses do? And can you also explain um, what you mean by the grading of it? So the task force is recommending that, you know, um, Canadians who are not at elevated risk for chronic hepatitis C infection not be screened. Um, I just want to say why that's the case. And I also want to remind um, Canadian uh, family physicians and nurses working in primary care that there are still people who should be tested in their practice. So, So not screening does not mean that we don't look for people at higher risk which, you know, we should and which really respects the recommendations which come from the Public Health Agency of Canada that were endorsed by the College of Family Physicians of Canada back in 2009. That is, to do case finding or testing people at higher risk in their practice. And in fact, many people in my practice have already been tested because they met the criteria to be tested, but not based on screening the entire uh, population um, of people who come in 18 years of age and up. So our recommendation against screening um, the Canadian population not at elevated risk for hepatitis C is based on a couple of findings. Um, it's really based on what we didn't find. So we found no screening trial, Diane, which means that uh, we really don't know what is the balance between the benefits and harms of any screening intervention in the absence of a screening trial. Um, so we found no trials in the general population, no trials of screening in the birth cohort group, and this was an important finding in our decision-making. When it comes to uh, treatment, I mean, we did find, you know, trials that show that the new, the new direct-acting antivirals uh, are an advance over the old treatments, and that these trials are short-term, uh, less than a year's duration, and associated with high rates of clearance of the virus from the body. But we don't know if, um, you know, long-term, if clearance means that these people don't get cirrhosis of the liver, for example, because those long-term studies have not yet been done. One of the things maybe you can explain to the listeners is how you graded the recommendation. Um, because some people would say, oh, just because there is no trial, does that mean, you know, why should we just say we shouldn't do it? Yeah. Well, we use the grade system, the grading of recommendations assessment system. And in that system, you, you know, you can either be for or against an intervention, in this case, screening for hepatitis C. And your recommendation could be strong or weak based on, you know, a combination of factors, including, you know, how confident you are at the balance between the benefits and harms of the intervention 
and your knowledge of what the resources used to you know put that intervention into place would be, uh, your knowledge of patient preferences around the intervention. So there's a composite of things that go into you know deciding whether a recommendation is strong or weak. But clearly, in the absence of a screening trial, um, you know we could not recommend that all Canadians be sent for a blood test to look for the hepatitis C virus. And we felt strong about that because we we knew that um, anybody who would be identified would likely just join the queue. And you know what I mean by the queue is that I have uh, I have someone in my practice who's been waiting years um, to get treatment because um, he, although he has chronic hepatitis C. He doesn't qualify for treatment because his liver is not, you know, uh, fibrotic. His fibrosis score is F1, and he doesn't meet Trinidad criteria for treatment in Quebec, and nor would he in Ontario, to my knowledge. So um, in this situation, you know, what we would be doing is we'd be identifying people who would be labeled as chronically infected and who would face the, the stigma and the psychological um, consequences of being labeled with a with a chronic infection, who who would then have to you know enter uh, a long queue to be eventually seen by a hepatologist after who knows how long, and to be told that they don't qualify for treatment unless their liver is F uh, F two or F three fibrosis for example. So so we 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 estimated that the harms there would be some harms associated with screening in this context. There would be a lot of resources used, and using these resources would, in, 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 in frankly, take away from the implementation of other interventions that we know to be a benefit, like immunizations, for example. So, on balance, we felt that you know there was a, this should be a strong recommendation against screening. We, we acknowledge in the guideline that this is very low quality evidence, and by very low quality evidence, we mean that in the absence of a screening trial. Um, and, and even with, you know, knowledge that treatment can be beneficial um, for people who are identified, but not in a screening context, um, that this was what we call very low quality evidence, and that meant that it was uncertain. So the task force, you know, commits to to reevaluating this recommendation as new evidence emerges over time. For physicians and and primary care nurses, okay, so. Tomorrow, they, they go into their practice. How would their practice change on the basis of this um, this guideline? What should they be doing and what should they not be doing? So I guess practice, we're sort of confirming really that practice of people like family physicians and nurses is, is good. It's, it's what people have been doing since, you know, so for many years now, to our knowledge, is, is the right thing. That is, they are not systematically screening all persons 18 and up who come in to see them. They, they are testing, which we call case finding. They are case finding, meaning they are looking for people who have, for example, ever injected intravenous drugs or people with high-risk sexual behaviors or people who were born or resided in countries uh, where the prevalence of chronic hepatitis C is elevated. Um, and we provide a tool, by the way, um, to identify these people as a map of the world, identifying which countries um, you know, are associated with higher prevalence rates for hepatitis C so that clinicians can identify these persons in their practice and be, you know, be selective about it and not just test everybody who walks in the door. So that's that's really helpful, and I'm assuming that those tools are available on the task force website. Yes, 
CanadianTaskForce.ca. Excellent. So, um, do, do you have any final thoughts for um, for our listeners on the topic of hepatitis C? Well, I guess in terms of final thoughts, um, I just want you know people to know that we um, we're, we are committed to reevaluating this recommendation as new information comes in, and um, it's possible that down the road things will change. If if a screening trial were launched, it would, in my opinion give us the definitive answer. And in general, um, when it comes to taking persons without symptoms and subjecting them to an intervention with the idea of eventually preventing some negative outcome down the road, we need a screening trial in order to be confident about what we're doing. It will take quite a long time um, before a screening trial is launched and gives us results. In the shorter term, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, it's from the time since we wrote this guideline to the present day, here we are, 2017, um, policies around who qualifies for treatment in Canada are changing. Um, so um, it is possible that with a reduction in the prices of uh, direct-acting antivirals um, that um, we may have to reconsider our recommendation. But it remains to be seen um, as to how... Uh, negotiated price reductions in Canada will actually change um, the situation. So I guess for now I would say um, primary people in primary healthcare have been doing have been largely doing the right thing and should remain vigilant um, to testing only those people who are at higher risk for infection. That's excellent. Great advice. Thanks so much, Roland. It's my pleasure, Diane. It's been good to talk with you. I've been speaking with Dr. Roland Grad, a practicing family physician and associate professor in the Faculty of Medicine at McGill University. Dr. Grad is also a member of the Canadian Task Force on Preventive Health Care. To read the full guideline he co-authored, visit cmaj.ca. 